0: You're listening to Western Sydney Health Check, a podcast talking all things health, providing current and accurate healthcare information for the community and our
1: staff. I'm Sia. And I'm Harrison. And we'll be taking you through this podcast. In episode one, we'll be speaking to Western Sydney Local Health District Chief Executive Graham Loy about the coronavirus. Hi, Graham, Thanks for being the first person on Western Sydney Health Check.
0: Oh, you're more than welcome. Thanks for inviting me.
1: So, Graham Loy is the Chief Executive of Western Sydney Local Health District. He has the very important responsibility of overseeing 14,000 staff who manage five hospitals and health centres in Western Sydney. Today, we're talking about the topic on everyone's lips, coronavirus. So, my first question is, Graham, how is Western Sydney Local Health District responding to COVID-19? Uh, we're responding really
0: strongly. Uh, I'm really happy with with the way that the staff have come across this and have stepped up. It only really came to us at the end of January, so we're kind of six weeks into it now and we've been learning and evolving as we go, relying on our training and structures that we've had in place for a very long time, but they're stepping up and really putting the patients at the centre of everything they do and making sure that every decision we make is looking after the patients as best as we can.
1: So we know Westmead Hospital is currently the designated centre in New South Wales for the management of patients with COVID-19. Does the hospital prepare for these kinds of outbreaks?
0: oh yeah on an ongoing basis so we have a disaster management structure where we prepare for a whole heap of things um the infectious diseases issues um such as the COVID-19 are things that we prepare for you never know exactly what's going to come it's about the systems and processes and the governance that you have in place that do that so yeah we certainly do a lot of training a lot of preparation we make sure all our equipment is right we make sure our staff are trained all the way through.
1: why is the hospital a designated centre for public health outbreak?
0: We have a huge level of expertise and excellence amongst our clinical staff. So our infectious diseases teams are you know, in the best in the state, You know, our teams for the disaster management um, are fantastic. So the state has recognised that they need to have a response site. We're co-located with the kids, which gives it an advantage for New South Wales health. Um, and we have a really strong presence. We're also building into the new build that opens up in October, um, a biocontainment space that will you know, further enhance our capabilities.
1: And how- How are we working with the community and our stakeholders to respond?
0: We've got an executive steering committee in place at a district level that includes representation from the primary health network um, and that gives us our linkages into the general practitioners around in primary care. It also um, has representation from the private hospitals, so that gives us a linkage into that space. Um, The big piece for us is how do we continue to try and um, communicate with people outside um, the hospital system, so the general public. We need to think about how we complement the communication that's coming out of New South Wales Health. Um, because the single source of truth for us at the moment for information is the New South Wales Health website. We need to bolster that up with our local communications about what we can do, for example, running our COVID-19 flu clinic uh, at Westmead um, so people know that it's there.
1: And this podcast will be one of those ways to do that. So how is Westmead Hospital planning for a potential influx of patients? What happens if the hospital is full?
0: Oh, good question, Sue. So we've been planning this for quite some time. Um, From day one, we've been talking about what do we do with what we've got um, and how do we use the resources we have available now but also planning for what's the next phase and where do we expand to Um, and you know and that is on two fronts one of them is on from a clinical perspective how do we identify who needs to be in hospital and who can be quarantined at home and we're doing that in consultation with ministry of health and our infectious diseases team i'm very closely working together the second part of it is you know as we expand um, and grow into the facility and we have more presentations and more people who need to be quarantined where do we put them in our organization so there's, there's a couple of key factors we need to look at. We need to make sure it's accessible, so we're not got people wandering all the way through the hospital. We need to make sure that the air conditioning systems are okay, so we're we're not um, you know expelling air into the rest of the hospital that's been going through those spaces. So they need to have a sort of negative pressure in that space. Um, and then we need to make sure that you know it's got the right facilities there to p- keep patients in, to see patients, so it's a comfortable space because you know they're there for days when they come in if they've been quarantined. So we need to make sure that if facilities are there for the comfort of the patients, that the staff have all the things that they need and get the support they can, um, and that that when we have to do the pieces of work that we need to do with each of the patients, the care that we provide, that we have everything there um, to do that.
1: So, Graham, what would happen if one of our staff members happens to be diagnosed with COVID-19? Well, like any
0: member of the public, if we had a staff member um, who was diagnosed with COVID-19, um, we would go through the same process as we do for any patient that shows up. Um, there's a whole heap of work that uh, our public health unit does um, with about contact tracing to try and identify where um, a patient would have um, uh, contracted the virus and the impact that would have on others. Um, we would have a look at all of our systems um, and processes in place to try and identify um, where that happened and who they had come in contact with. We would do all the standard things like check, you know, had they travelled overseas, who had they been in contact with, where where does the source come from, and that's a real strength of uh, the Ministry of Health and our public health unit. They're really, really good at um, tracing those sorts of um, contact points and trying to understand where it's come from. Immediately, someone um, who contracts uh, goes into isolation, so our staff are no different to the general public. They would would be in isolation um, um, and be quarantined for the 14 days. And and if they're like 80% of the patients with very, very mild symptoms, um, that would most likely be at home. But we would take advice from our clinicians on how that occurs and where that occurs um, and work with the clinical advice that we get.
1: So just going back to the operational response to COVID-19, what types of staff are involved in responding to this outbreak?
0: Oh, we've had a huge range of staff. I guess the, the key areas are our, um, our infectious diseases teams, um, our emergency departments, our intensive care units, um, our patient flow teams. Um, uh, initially, it was our disaster management teams, although that is that is now transitioned to our operational management teams um, and our overarching management for the hospital. They're the key ones, but then, of course, there are the clinicians who need to treat patients. So if they have a particular respiratory requirement we might have a respiratory clinician that comes and sees them so it depends on the clinical needs of the patient um, but our, our planning all the way through um, has infectious diseases people in it, ED people in it, ICU um, um, clinicians in it and you know we have a fairly broad representation and we've also got our directors of medical services, um, we've got the connectivity into the general practitioners um, in the community so it's a fairly broad range of people that we're talking to um, and then we have a huge expertise that sits in the Ministry of Health that we're tapping into as well.
1: Well, over the last few months, the Fieries have been painted as heroes, but I think going forward, it it will be our healthcare professionals being uh, the heroes in the community.
0: Oh, not just the heroes in the community. They're absolute heroes every day coming to work. I mean, I think that normally anyway, but when I look at um, how they have all responded in this circumstance, um, it's not just the people that come to work every day and, um, you know, put themselves, um, you know, in a a room with someone who has a, you know, COVID-19 virus, but it's around... Everyone in the system around how we have stepped up and said these people need our help and we will provide that help. Um, it goes from that spectrum all the way to the other end where we've had you know clinicians go to Christmas Island and to Darwin to help other patients who've been coming back from overseas and how we how we provide support to them through that process. So we have an amazing team with a huge skill set and you know they're really generous. They will put themselves um, in circumstances that are not normal for them on a day-to-day basis to make sure that they can help our patients. And so I'm really proud of them. I think they do. Doing- A fantastic job. I mean, the whole system and and everywhere I look is doing a great job. But I'm particularly proud of our team because, I think you know, constantly we go over and above. You know what we do. You know, with with the fires, we had some brilliant teams from mental health going down the South Coast to try and support some of the affected families down there. Um, and, And there are heroes all the way through the health system. But you know, today and you know, for the last six weeks, we're seeing that happen all the time. You know, and they're an amazing group of people.
1: Um. So just moving on to a bit of media speculation at the moment. There has been some reporting over the last couple of days regarding cardiac surgery being cancelled. Is there any truth to this?
0: So it's actually a really good question. I know it's a topic of conversation for the system. What we're looking at doing as part of uh, running the hospital is making sure that we can provide the greatest access to care for everyone. We don't want anyone to miss out on their care. So we want to make sure that we can, we partner with as many people as possible to keep patients um, moving through the system and getting the care that they need. Um, and that is that are those patients who are not in here for COVID-19 issues, but you we know, need for their, um, the otherwise regular work that we do for cardiac surgery and all types of surgery, outpatient clinics, people coming in for their treatment as per normal through our emergency departments. Um, they get, the emergency departments are getting very busy at the moment uh, because of uh, what's happening um, out in the community, and we need to make sure that we, we um, partner with as many people and as many resources as we can to keep people moving through the system and give them that care. Part of that is looking at the elective surgery that we do and seeing are there opportunities to partner with a private hospital down the road who provide really high-quality care and they're right next door to where we are now and can support us through this process and they're really keen to help in that space. It's one of those times where you see the public and the private sector coming together and really working closely in a partnership around how do we make it important for our patients. Um, and you know, I'm seeing that across the spectrum at the moment. Cardiac surgery is one of those particular issues where um, we've identified that there's some opportunities to provide some really good care to um, patients to get them access to surgery quicker. Um, and if we do that by moving them down into the private hospital. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the primary goal for us, of course, is to make sure that we keep our intensive care capacity available. So, if we have a COVID nineteen patient come in, we want to make sure that we have a bed available straight away. Um, and surgery, you know, is one of the, um, the feeders into our intensive care units. It's different to what happens in procedural areas and other parts of the hospital. So, operating theatres are a specific part of our business, but then so are procedural areas like cardiac cath labs um, and endoscopy suites. So They're very different parts of the business and they provide different functions. What what we are looking to do is to see what we can do with the elective surgery um, and and the non-critical. So the really critical category A elective surgery, so they're the ones that need to be done within 30 days of being notified. Um, We are making sure that they stay at Westmead because they're the critical ones and usually the complex ones. Um, emergency surgery, that's coming through the front door and through our emergency departments. We are making sure that we keep that in-house uh, in our operating theatres here. But the planned elective surgery where we know that it's coming on, we can you know, we can plan it with the, with the private hospitals and with our surgeons and we can plan it with the patients. That's the work that we can safely and effectively take um, to the private and we're looking at that. But we're also looking at seeing what we can do to move around you know, to Auburn and to Blacktown to make sure that we you know, make use of the total resources within our district to give the best access to care that we can for everyone.
1: So speaking of resources, while we continue to respond to this outbreak, is there anything staff need to know about workforce planning such as leave arrangements?
0: Well, there's a lot of information coming out of the ministry at the moment around leave um, arrangements. And you know what, what I would ask um, our staff to think about is, um, you know, we, need, we know that we are getting increased activity. We know that we are um, seeing more people come through the front door and through the emergency department. Um, but we're also mindful that, you know, we have to protect the wellbeing and the resilience of our staff as well. So um, th- there is lots of information available on the intranet and available through our um, workforce and HR team. So if you have any questions specifically, please contact them and ask them about it. Um, but what I would ask of all of our department heads and all of our staff is... is um, and I know everyone comes to work to look after patients, so I have no doubt that, that that will continue to be the case. If you need to take leave, talk to your manager about it. Um, if there are urgent um, issues that you need to address, you know, we're here to help in that space as much as we can. If you're feeling overwhelmed and overloaded, talk to us and we'll do whatever we need to do to help you through that space. Um, if, if, if you do need to take leave and you take leave, I'm, I'm very comfortable with people um, accessing it for the appropriate reasons. I I would just say, you know, we need to make sure that we maintain a staff in workforce uh, that's capable of dealing with it. Um, And so, uh, you know, we're not going to say no to people taking leave. We're just going to ask people to be sensible about it. The occasion does happen where we need to ring people up who are on leave and say, you know, we've got a really busy period. Are you available? Um, You know, hopefully people will pick up the phone and have a conversation with us, which I'm sure they will.
1: Thanks, Graham. Do you have any other messages for staff while we tackle this COVID 19 period?
0: Oh, look, I guess what I would like to say to our staff is, first of all, thank you. You do an amazing job every day coming to work. Um, You put our patients and each other before yourselves um, on a daily basis and that's really important for the community to know that. I would also like to say make sure that you look after yourself and each other. Your teams are important and what we do is important and so make sure that when you're at work, you look after each other as well. Um, But most importantly, come to work so we can spend time with our family when we're not here. So when you go home, don't forget, that. don't take all this work with you home. Enjoy your time with your family or whoever that may be or whoever that may look. Um, Make sure that you get some downtime. Make sure that you get to refresh and recharge your batteries um, because, you know, this is not going to stop in the next day or two. We've got to um, plan for um, the long haul in this space and just to think about not only each other but your own resilience and your own health through the process.
1: All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the uh, questions segment of the podcast. Thank you very much, Graham, for your time. We know you're very busy, and thanks for leading uh, our organization um, through a challenging time and for being so responsive and ensuring our staff uh, are up to date on a, a very uh, fast evolving situation.
0: Yep, you're more than welcome. Thanks for having me.
1: Don't forget to stay tuned to the next episode of Western Sydney Health Check. This podcast is produced by Western Sydney Local Health District. For the latest news, visit us at thepulse.org.au.